Welcome to a special Sunday edition of Thursday Quick Thought. This is a sermon I preached called Don't Go to Church. What comes to mind when I say the word church? What comes to mind when I say the word church? Maybe maybe for some of you it's um, you think Sunday mornings and dragging yourself out of bed. Um, it's funny, every other, every other day of the week, it's like 5.30 and your eyes are open and you're awake and you can't get back to sleep. And then Sunday morning, you can't even, 9 o'clock, you're still, eyes are closed trying to get some coffee to get going. But um, So maybe that's what you think of is, it's Sunday morning, i got to drag myself out of bed. Um, maybe you think of, it's Sunday morning, i got to get everybody out of the house. I mean, for me, I've got four kids and a wife. Um, she's not the problem, trust me. Um, so to, to try to get, uh, when we're doing family Bible hour especially, to try to get four kids ready, get them out of the house, um, it's interesting. Um, interesting is a word. Um, but maybe that's what you think of. Maybe you think of, you know, let's go, get out of the house, come on, yelling at the kids on the way to church and then smiling as you walk in. Maybe that's what you think of. Um, maybe you think of a song. You hear the word church and you think amazing grace. You think power in the blood. You think I'll fly away. Maybe it's a song that comes to mind when you hear that word. Maybe you hear church and you think of, of your favorite preacher. Um, Maybe you, maybe you think of a really good sermon you heard once. Um, maybe you hear church and you think of that time your cousin replaced the chocolate chips and chocolate chip cookies with, with chocolate X-lax. Uh, maybe that's what you think when you hear church. Um, that's, a, that's a story for another day. Um, the crazy thing is, I think... Most of us, it might even be unanimous. I'd be surprised if it weren't unanimous. We hear the word church and we think of this event that we call church. Church happens at a particular place, on a particular day, at a particular time. And that's what we think of when we think church. Church is where we go, we sing some songs, we hear about Jesus, uh, we, we hear a sermon about him, we sing to him, um, and then we go home afterwards and have lunch, or we go out for lunch with somebody. But I've been doing, through this time, this, I hate saying the word COVID, because I'm just tired, but um, through this time of COVID, this time of, of the church being closed, the doors being closed on the church building, um, I've really been doing a lot of thinking and praying and reading and studying on, on what really is church. What is the church? And if you look to the Bible, the picture you get of church in the Bible is not this picture of, of a specific place, a specific time, a specific day. That's not what we see. If you search the Bible, the church is not an event. It's a people centered around the event of Jesus being our Savior. It's not a gathering of people, but rather it's, it's a people gathered 
around the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. See, church is not a place we go, according to the Bible. Church is who we are. Those of us who would call Jesus our Lord, church is not a place we go. Church is who we are. That's what we see when we look in the Bible. When we look at church in the Bible, church is a people. We're the church. So that leads to the question, well, what kind of people? What kind of a people are we as the church supposed to be? What does this people called the church look like? Like, what, How can you tell us apart? What's, what's, what's the deal? I'm glad you asked. Um, I've got four points this morning. Like a real preacher, I got points. So hang on. Here we go. My four points are this. The church, this group of people, we're a people that love. We're a people that gather. We're a people that disciple. And we're a people that go. We're a people that love, a people that gather a people that disciple, and a people that go. People that love. We are called as followers of Christ, as followers of Jesus, as the church, we are called to love. If you look in 1 Corinthians, I would encourage you this morning, I'm going to be doing a lot of looking around, um, but I'd encourage you to try to Try to follow with me. Um, I purposely didn't put markers in my Bible so that it would take me a little bit of time to get there um, and hopefully give you plenty of time as I am slow. Um, so 1 Corinthians, I guess it would help if I tell you. 1 Corinthians 13 is where I'm going to start. We are called to be a people that love. As the church, we're called to love. 1 Corinthians 13 Starting at verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. I gain nothing. Saying here, I can do miracles, I can do good works, I can serve people, I can, I can, I can do all of these things, but if I do them without love, it doesn't matter. It's like I didn't even show up. It's like I wasn't even there. It goes on to explain what love is. Verse 4, Love is patient and kind. Love, love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Skipping ahead in verse 13, it says, So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. 
you hear that that portion of verses read at um, at weddings a lot, um, and it's it's beautiful. It's it's a great picture of love, and and it applies to that as well. It can apply to to how you should love your your husband or your wife. Um, but really, what it's talking about here is 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 what it looks like to be a believer. What it looks like to to be a people that love. We're a people that love. We must be a people that love. So who do we love? Who do we love? We're we're a people that love. That's what we're called to be. So who do we love? Matthew 22, we see the answer. Matthew 22, verse 34. Starting at verse 34, it says this. But when the Pharisees heard that he, was, that he had silenced, he being Jesus, he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he, he being Jesus, said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, this is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's who we're to love. I mean, I think... If you're a Christian or if you're searching Christianity, exploring Christianity, I think you know, yeah, I should probably love God. That's probably, probably a prerequisite to, to becoming a Christian is it makes sense that I would love God. Um, but then it says the second is like it, that you should love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. So who's my neighbor? I'm glad you asked. Luke 10 tells us who your neighbor is. And I saw a, uh, I saw a post that a lot, of, uh, a lot of people were sharing, a lot of you actually that are probably watching this, um, sharing it on Facebook that said, uh, when God told you to love your neighbor, he knew who your neighbor was going to be. Um, that's kind of the point. He's not surprised by, you know, love your neighbor. Oh, except for you, because you've got terrible, like I understand you've got bad neighbors. So, I mean, you're okay, but everybody else. I mean, there's no asterisk. There's no, unless you live beside this person, unless you talk. God knows who your neighbor is. He's, he's not surprised by this. Um, and who is your neighbor? Luke 10 Starting at verse 25, says, And behold, a lawyer... These lawyers, eh? Come on. Behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, It's written in the law. Here we go. How, how do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your, love your neighbor as yourself. So we just read that in Matthew. Here it is again in Luke. And Jesus said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, Well, who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, 
and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by the other side. But a Samaritan, Samaritans and Jews do not get along. Jews um, believed they were far superior to Samaritans, um, and um, they hated them. There's no other way to put it. They hated them. A Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took, him, he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I get back. Now which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. This Samaritan was the one that was that was a neighbor to this 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 Jewish man who was beat up and, and stripped on the side of the road. Jesus is saying, "Your neighbor, it's everybody. It's not just the people you get along with. It's not just the people that love you. It's everybody. It's the people you hate." We're called to love them. That's who our neighbor is, and that's who we're called to love. Why do we love? John, John makes it very clear. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because he first loved us. Because God first loved us. God loves us so much that we are to receive that love, and it's to overflow out of us. It's to be so powerful and so impactful um, and, and so rich in our lives that we just can't help but love others. We love because he first loved us. And how do we love? How do we show this love? We saw, we saw a definition of love. We saw that we're called to love. We saw that we can do whatever we want if we don't do it in love doesn't matter. It's like we weren't even there. It's like we didn't even play the game. Um, we see that we're to love God. We're to love people. People meaning all people. But how do we do this? Romans 12 shows us how we do this. Romans 12. Look, that one was marked. <laughs> Romans 12. Starting at verse 9. I'm going to read through um, to the end of the chapter. Romans 12, 9 starts by saying, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless, do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. 
Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give but give thought, sorry, give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not, over, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Lots of things in this little passage here. How do we love? We love, first of all, with our actions. Shows, shows up very, um, very obviously in this, in this passage that the way we act, the way we respond, don't respond with vengeance. Our actions matter in showing love. We love with truth. We love with truth. It talks in here about, about, about being, being honest, about weeping with those who weep, about not, not hiding stuff. It talks about um, not being wise in your own sight. We need, to be, we need to be honest. We need to be truthful with each other. We need to be open with each other. This is how we show love. And we show love without exception. Without exception. It says here, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If your enemy's thirsty, give him a drink. Don't pick and choose who you're going to love. We love without exception. We are a people who love. Second point, we're a people who gather. We're a people who gather. And I know it doesn't feel like it right now, but we're a people who gather. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. I went too far. I'm, I'm kind of regretting not putting bookmarks in here, but there are a lot of passages I'm going to, and it would have got probably way more confusing. Um, so Acts chapter 2, starting at verse number 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So we see here that God's people are gathering together. And this wasn't a weekly appointment by the sound of it. It was being part of each other's lives day by day, meeting to break bread together day to day. 
They were in each other's lives, in each other's day-to-day -day lives. They gathered together. Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10. I'm trying not to sing the books of the Bible out loud as I look for it. Hebrews 10. Starting at verse 24, we're going to do just two verses there. Actually, three, no, two, sorry, two verses. 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So we see here that we're to physically meet together. Now notice that the Bible doesn't give a specific day to do this, a specific time, a specific place to meet together. It just tells us, meet together. Don't neglect this as some have. Meet together. It's important to note here that, that this is why um, us as, as the leaders of Massey Bible Chapel, Bob and Richard and myself, have encouraged and, and pushed people to meet for family Bible hour with family or with friends, to, to meet together. Don't neglect that. We can't right now get into the building, everybody together, but we can meet in our houses. Please find somebody to watch the sermons with, to, to sing with, to read the Bible with, to pray with. It doesn't, have, it doesn't even have to be for family Bible hour. And I may be telling you to stop watching this right now but if if it means that you're going to shut this off and go and meet and pray and read the bible with someone that's way more important than what i'm doing right now we need to meet together we need to gather together and again we can't do it in large groups but we can do it in small groups and we can't neglect that now that being said do we do we have to physically meet together all the time? Do we have to be physically together to be considered meeting together? John 17, 11. John 17, verse 11 says this. As soon as I find it, I'll tell you exactly what it says. Jesus is, um, is praying here, and he's praying for, um, for, for his disciples. And he says this, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. That they may be one, even as we are one. Was God the Father physically on earth with his son Jesus? He wasn't. So this togetherness that, that Jesus is asking for here, in this instance, is not defined by being physically together. Note in my Bible says this, 
Jesus shows the kind of profound unity that should be the norm among genuine believers. This is to be a reflection of the unity that has existed eternally between the Father and the Son, namely the unity of a common mind and purpose, an unqualified mutual love, and a sustained, comprehensive togetherness in mission. So yes, we physically gather together, but just as probably more importantly, I would say, is we gather around a common mind and purpose. We gather together around a mission. We gather around the person and the work of Jesus. And on that note, when we talk about physical gatherings and, and gathering around a common purpose, we really need to understand that it's not about us. It's not about us. If you come away from a gathering of believers saying, I, just, I didn't like the music today, or, you know, the preacher, he's usually funnier than that. I just, he, uh, he just wasn't that entertaining today. He, did, he wasn't entertaining enough. Or, or I'm not a big fan of the, of the kids' program. You know, there's that, there's that weird teacher they got. Um, if that's what you come away from the church gathering, this gathering of the saints, if those are the kinds of things you're thinking, you're missing the point of the gathering. It is not about you. It is not about me. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's not about us. It's not about if I like this song better than this song or, or this preacher better than this preacher. It's about Jesus coming to sing to Him. Coming to read His Word. To learn more about Him. To get closer to Him. It's about Him. It's not about you and it's not about me. Colossians 1.18 says, He, being Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the head of the body. He's the head of the church. Now, you might be a hand, you might be a knee, you might be a foot, but Jesus is the head. What's more important, a head or a foot? Listen, you play an important role in the church, and the Bible says that. The Bible says we all play a role. But what's more important, a head or a foot? Tell us, doctor. Doctor, what is more serious, a head injury or a foot injury? A head injury. Well, you don't have all the information. The foot has been fairly severely burned and uh, healed quickly, very quickly. Actually, like, suspiciously quickly. So I'm wondering a cat scan. I love that the question of importance is so ridiculous that, that the doctor doesn't even acknowledge. He just ignores him at the end. The head is obviously more important. As the church, as this body of people, we have to keep the focus on him. I truly believe that if we would focus on him rather than ourselves, we would be a lot more satisfied in our gatherings we would be a lot more satisfied in our gatherings if we came in and focused on Him. And I believe our gatherings would be much more powerful if that was our goal, was, you know what? I am just here for Him. That would be so powerful. We are a people that gather. 
We're a people that disciple. We're a people that disciple. Matthew 28:19 makes this very clear. Um, Jesus has risen from the dead. He's about to go back to heaven. And Matthew 28:19 says this: "Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Go therefore and make disciples. We are a people that disciple. And how do we do that? It says right here, teaching them by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So we disciple by teaching what God's commanded. Now, the thing is, in order to teach, we've got to know. In order to teach, we have to know. Um, I'm taking a class right now um, called Psychopathology. Um, it used to be called Abnormal Psychology, apparently. Now it's all fancy. It's Psychopathology. Um, and my, my professor in this class, um, she can teach because she's a registered clinical psychologist she's read the books she's experienced this so she can teach it if she didn't have this experience if she didn't go through the schooling if she didn't read the books she would not be able to teach me anything but because she's done that she can teach she knows abnormal psychology so she can pass that knowledge on. So how do we make disciples? Well, first, we've got to know God better. We have to know God. We have to know as much as we can about who He is, about what He's done, about, about His attributes. We have to know God better. And the way to do that, first, we've got to read the Bible. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be... Con I can't read. It's pretty late. Um, that the man of God may be competent, which I wasn't, equipped for every good work. We've got to know the Bible. Psalm 119, uh, verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We have to get in God's word to know God better. This is primarily the way that God speaks to us. It's through his word. Other thing we have to do to know God better is, is to pray. We've got to pray. We've got to talk to him. Colossians 4, verse 2 says, Devote yourself to prayer being watchful and thankful. Psalm 145.18 says, The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. The Lord is near. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Pray continually. Romans 12.12, 12, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in in prayer 
we can disciple when we know God better. We know God better by reading His Word, by praying, and by experience. By experience. Matthew 7, verses 3 to 5. Jesus is, um, is talking. It's a, it's a famous passage about the, um, the plank in the eye passage. You know the passage. It's in Matthew 7, like I told you. Matthew 7, starting at verse 3, says, why do, you, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, the, the title on this is Judging Others. Um, I've talked about this before. Um, that title led me to a place where I thought the only thing this was saying was, don't judge, mind your own business, leave everybody alone. And then recently I saw the end of that where it says, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So he doesn't just say, you hypocrite, take the log out of your own eye and leave him alone. It says, take the log out of your own eye so you can see clearly, so you can help your brother. Use this experience to help. We are a people that disciple. How do we know God better so we can disciple? We read the Bible we pray, and we use our experience. We use our experience. Now, who does this discipling? I think a lot of times um, we assume that um, the, the elders, the leaders of the church do the discipling, um, that the preacher can do the discipling. Um, those are, the, you know, that's, that's, that's reserved for special people. They do the discipling. Um, we just... We sit back and we uh, we become disciple. We we are discipled towards God, but that's not the case. Anyone who is a disciple of Jesus should be discipling others. Anyone who's a disciple of Jesus should be discipling others. If you go back to the Great Commission, where I just just turned from, and now I'm finding again in Matthew 28, it says that we're to make disciples of all the nations. And how do we do that? We do that by teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So let me ask you a question. Would you say the Great Commission is something that Jesus has commanded? It seems pretty obvious. He doesn't start with, um, if you want to go, it starts with go. Just go. He's, he's giving a command here, and the command is, go therefore and make disciples. So as we teach, we're teaching people to follow the commands of God, and one of the commands of God is to go and disciple. So this becomes a cycle where we disciple, they disciple, because now they're obeying the commands of God, and it, and it continues. And everybody who becomes a disciple of God 
disciples people. That blew my mind. But by the way, when I when I studied that and I read that, it was just the just how that that cycle. It, it's amazing. I I love that, um, and I hope you loved it as much as I did. Um, I tried to keep my cool after I said it, but it, I was just too excited. We are a people that disciple. We're a people, as Christians, as the church, we're a people that disciple. The last thing, um, we're, we're a people that go. We're a people that go. I mean, Great Commission, I just said, starts with the word go. Go. The Great Commission. Go make disciples. So that's one of the places we go. What are some other places we go? Go and serve. Galatians 5.13 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Philippians 2.5-7 says, have this, a mind, have this a mind, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Have this mind among yourself. Be like Jesus who came to serve. Go and serve with your spiritual gifts. That's, it's, it's obvious in the Bible that we're supposed to use our spiritual gifts to serve each other, to serve one another. Another place we're supposed to go, and you're not going to like this one, go and suffer. As followers of Jesus, we're called to go and suffer. Romans 8, 16-18 says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we, we may also be glorified with him. Philippians 1.29 For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake. 2 Timothy 2.3 Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 3.12 Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We are called to suffer. This is not, this is not a call to comfort. The call to Christ is not come to Jesus because he'll make everything feel nice and soft and, and comfortable. That's not what this is. If you desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. You will suffer for His sake. Where else should we go? This next one is way better. Um, go and die. Go and die. 
Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's not, even, it's not me who lives. I die to myself. It's now Christ living in me. Luke 9.23, And he said to all, he being Jesus, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Take up his cross daily. Where's, where are you taking that cross? You're taking that cross to be crucified with him. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I die to myself. I die to my flesh. I die to my sin, to my desires. And I live in Christ. We're a people that go. We go and make disciples. We go and serve. We go and suffer. We go and die. We are a people that go. Church is not a place we go. Church is who we are. Those of us who would call Jesus our Lord, church is not a place we go. Church is who we are. What kind of people are we as the church supposed to be? We're people that love. Love God, love others. We're people that gather. We gather physically. We gather around the idea that Christ gave his life for us. We're people that disciple. We're being discipled and we're discipling. And we're people that go. We're people that go. Church is not a place we go. The church is who we are. So in closing, I would encourage you, I would, I would beg you to stop going to church. Stop going to church and start being the church. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your son. I thank you for, for this, this amazing event that we can gather around. I thank you that, that your idea is bigger than just a building with three songs and a sermon, but we're to be a people, a people that love, a people that gather, a people that disciple, and a people that go. I pray that, that you would give us the strength to do that because we don't have it in ourselves. I pray that you would give us the, the bravery to, to die to ourself and to live in you. In Jesus' name, amen. I would ask if, if there's anyone who, um, who doesn't know Jesus and you're seeing this and you're thinking, you know what? I need something to get behind. Life has been so uncertain. Life has been so rocky and shaky. And, 
and and I need something to gather around, something to rally around, and and Jesus sounds true. Maybe you're seeing for the first time that you know what? This is real. If that's you, if you are realizing that Jesus is is real, Jesus died for your sins. Jesus gives you new life. You don't have to live to your desires. You don't have to live to these things. If you're just realizing that and you're saying, you know what, I need Jesus, I need that help, I would ask that you pray with me now. Raise your hand and pray with me. Raising your hand and praying is not a magic formula, but I think it solidifies what's going on in your heart. So pray with me. Father, I thank you for your son. I thank you that he died for me. I thank you that he takes away my sin. He takes away he takes away all of them. Everything I've done. I ask now, Father, that you would come into my life. That you would change me. That you would make me new. That you would give me the strength to die to myself and to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made that decision, if you prayed that prayer, we would love to pray with you, get a Bible in your hand, celebrate with you. So let us know. Thanks for joining us today.